some of you are starting to look a little old. Do you know that? Yeah, <clears throat> not in a good way. Um, talking about your leaders. No, I'm just kidding. Um, some of those leaders too. I've been here like nine years, which I think, if, like, if I'm doing my math right, means that some of you, this, you seniors were like second graders or something when I got here. And I remember that some of you were second graders, and you look like tiny babies. And uh, now you look like tiny adults, which weirds me out. That also means that you ninth graders in the room were like in preschool, and you actually were babies. And so, so there's a difference, right? When, you, when you're growing up, and thankfully for most of you, you don't act the same way as you did when you were like second graders in preschool. Or some of you, very similar still. You're working on it. You're getting there. But, but there's a lot of things that progress. But on the other side of things... Um, as some things progress, some other things uh, progress that you don't really want. Like so, in some ways, like your, your, uh, your cognition, like your ability to make decisions, for the most part, improves. But when you fail, you fail way more spectacularly, right? Like in, in the ways that high school students fail are, are just like incomparable the way that like preschool kids fail. We had some people over to our house on Easter Sunday that night. And, uh, as, as we kind of do, we, we, we get people to come over to our house who have lots of babies because our house has already been destroyed by our kids. And so we just let other kids come and like smash their head into the wall too. And it's fine. Right. And so I was out in the, out in the yard and we got this like kind of a, you know, a space there. It's a little bit of shade. And so all the adults are over there being adults, you know, and the kids are running around, like crazy people, and uh, somebody else's kid, thankfully not my kid, because this would be embarrassing if it was my kid, so I'm telling you about someone else's kid that they should be embarrassed about. Their kid is in my kitchen. Now, the windows are open because it's a beautiful day Sunday, right? Easter Sunday's gorgeous day, and, and so all the windows are all the way open. And I look over about the time that somebody's, like, three-year-old, probably, has decided to exit the building not using the door. And it was one of those moments that was like, I didn't quite catch it before it started. It was already kind of, you know, like a rolling stone at this point. You really can't do anything about it, so you don't even need to talk about it. You're just going to watch it happen. That's what I did, and I was like, <laughs> And about the time I look over, there's this kid. He, like, climbs up onto the windowsill. I look over, and there's, like, on the windowsill already. And he's trying to put a hand down on the ground, but the ground's, like, four feet down. And his arm's, like, four inches long because kids are weird-shaped, you know? And he puts his hand out like, this is going to work. And he's reaching, and he's reaching, and he's reaching. And then he face plants smack in the flower bed, like out the window. Just falls, just like a torpedo, just like full vertical. This face hits like, boom. And he stops like that a second, like a lawn dart, you know, just bink. And he just falls over like a cartoon or something. Loved it. It was awesome. Mama didn't love it as much as I did, like his... That kid's mom, not in the room, so it's fine, right? So hilarious, like it's great. Like so, when when three year olds have their little failures, it's cute and adorable, and I tell stories about it in sermons, right? When 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 eighteen year olds do their version of a face plant, it looks dramatically different, right? Now, some of you have seen some of your friends take just a royal face plant of life this year. Especially some of you 10th graders, because 10th grade's the year when everybody decides who they're going to be and which path they're going to take. And a lot of your friends, some of you, some may be still in the room, took some paths that you're not exactly proud of. There's some things that have happened in your grade, like not, even, not necessarily the people in, at our, our student ministry, but maybe some in our I know some in our student ministry. 
Maybe some of you sitting in this room have taken the, the, the high school version of a face plant this year and you've done some things that you said you would never do, that you would imagine yourself having never done. You've progressed in some sin that you never thought would have taken hold of you and you're still there. Some of you walked in the room and you mean, you want to be here. You want to worship Jesus well, like you want to be all in. But when we start singing these songs about this love of this God, there's something inside you that just can't be fully in because there's, there's something between you and him. And that something's called shame. Well, there's, there's some shame that's been built up between you and him because of some of the choices that you've made this year or in years prior. And it's been added to some shame for some other stuff you've done. And you've ascribed shame to yourself. You're ashamed of some of the things that you've done. And, and yeah, they're pretty shameful stuff. We've all got it. But if we're not careful, we'll ascribe that same shame, that same ashamed feeling towards you. Like you'll, you'll ascribe that to God. And you'll think that God feels the same way about you that you feel about you. We've been walking through the book of Matthew this whole uh, semester, and we're kind of coming to the close. And, and we, last week, we, uh, it was Easter week, and so we talked about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. There's a subplot in that bit of the story about a guy named Peter. Now, we mentioned Peter the week before that. We talked about Peter was the guy who, when Jesus looked at the disciples and he says, who does everybody say that I am? They all like say some stuff, right? And he says, but no, no, who, who do you say that I am? Peter's the guy that spoke up and said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus like praised Peter for making this statement about figuring this out and calling it out proud. Praised him for it and said, Peter, you're a rock. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. If you remember, a few verses later, all of a sudden you start to see some cracks in that. Because Peter, in that moment, it looks like he's just this awesome guy. The next, the next paragraph, just one paragraph down in your Bibles, Peter's the same guy who you see Jesus turn around and say, Get behind me, Satan. Because you see Peter rebuking Jesus. When Jesus talks about how he's going to die for, he's going to go to Jerusalem, he's going he's to be turned over to the authorities, he's going to die. Peter gets in his face and says, hey, this ain't happening. This ain't the way we're doing this. Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan, for you don't have the things of God on your mind or the things of man. Sometimes you and I live in this in-between, between being these people who are all for the Lord. Like if you're a Christian in the room, there's been points when you've been fully committed, you've been all in. There's other points when you feel and have chosen to walk in opposition to him. We pick up the story in, in Matthew chapter 26. After you start to feel this shift in Peter. We kind of mentioned it last week, but you start feeling it, you see it directly in Matthew 26. After the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples, they go out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus goes to pray. Knowing he's about to be turned over to the authorities. Knowing he's about to die for the sin of the world. And in verse 31, he makes this terrifying statement. He says to him, you're all going to fall away because of me tonight. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. He said, you, you, you all, all of you are going to be scattered tonight. We're not going to make it through this together tonight. You're all going to run. You're all going to leave. 32, he says, after I'm raised up, I'm going to go before you to Galilee. So that, I'm, there's some stuff's going to go down. He's trying to give them hints. So after I'm raised up, literally from the grave, they don't know that yet. He said, I'm going to go before you to Galilee. I'm going to meet you again. You're going to scatter, but I'm going to see you again in Galilee. Peter answers him. <laughs> Just think about the audacity of saying this in front of the, the, other, the other disciples, right? He answers them. He says, though all those guys, all those other guys who have been walking with these three years, I don't, care, I don't know about those, those yahoos. Like, though they all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. 
Jesus, I'm never going to leave you. Nothing's ever going to get, but I don't care what happens tonight. I'm not, I'm not leaving. 34, Jesus says, yeah, man, that's not the way it's going to happen. He says, look, I'm telling you this very night before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny knowing me. You're going to separate yourself from me intentionally. You're you're not going to even identify yourself as knowing who I am. You're going to deny me three times before this night's over. And Peter says to him this, says, "Even even if I must die with you, I'm not, I'm not going to deny you. Jesus, you're wrong. I'm not going to fall short. I'm not going to fail. I'm not going to not. Even if I have to die with you right here on this hilltop, I will not deny you. And all the other disciples, they said the same thing. I'll never fall away, even if I must die. Have you ever said stuff like that to yourself or to God? Where you've kind of made some statements like, from here on out, Man, like from here on out, this point, like right here, this, like this late night at Beach Breakaway, from here on out, I'm going to follow God hard from here on. Like, like, yeah, there's some stuff that's been happening before. I hadn't really been consistent the way I wanted to be before, but from here on out, this is happening. I'm going to walk well with Jesus. I'm going to chase hard after you, God. Nothing's going to separate from me. That sin's not going to creep back in again. I'm, I'm all yours all the time from here on out for the rest of my life. I've said stuff like that. Maybe you've made some promises to yourself, maybe promises to God saying, listen, I'm going to be a person of impact. When I get back, when I get back to school, when, when, when the next school year starts, when I'm finally a senior and I can step up, I'm going to lead. I'm going to be a leader in my student ministry. I'm going to make an impact in my school. I'm going to bring my friends to greenhouse. I'm going to share my faith boldly. I'm not going to be scared anymore. Never again. Or maybe some statements about what you're not going to do. You know, Peter's standing here saying, I'm never going to fall away. I'm not, I'm not going to deny you. What in the world? I'm not going to do that. Have you made some statements to God about some things that you were just absolutely not going to do? That were just not going to be a part of who you are? It's inconceivable to you. Like, I'm, I'm not going to do that again. I'm never going to look at pornography again. I'm never going to go that far with a person I'm dating ever again. It's not going to happen. I'm never going to talk like that again. I'm never going to treat somebody like that again. I don't know how in the world I did that at that, that time, but this is not going to happen again because I'm awesome. And I'm drawing a line in the sand saying this isn't going to be me. Peter says, listen, this is the way it is. This, I'm, 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 not, I'm not going to fall away. I don't care if it kills me. It's not going to happen. But just a few minutes later, Peter's already slipping. Jesus goes away to, to, to pray. He kind of takes Peter, James, and John, the, the kind of the three inner circle of the disciples, and, and he kind of goes a little bit further to pray. He's, he's literally praying about taking all of your sin and my sin and their sin on himself. Having the Father turn his back away from him, like being separated from the Father, like literally dying for our sin. He's praying over like these huge eternity-shaking things, like the pivotal moment of all of history. And he's asked Peter and the other disciples just to, just to pray. Hey, you, you stay here. I'm going to go over there and pray. You stay here and pray because tonight everything's like, everything's going down. Can you just stay here and pray? So he goes away and pray and comes back in verse 40 and it says he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. This is like five verses later, by the way. Five verses after, even if I must die with you, I'll not deny you. 
Five verses later, he came to the disciples. He found them sleeping. He says to Peter, so, <laughs> could, you not, could you not watch with me just an hour? What happened to this whole, like, I'll, man, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a full out. Like, if I have to die for you, I'm, I'm there. You couldn't stay awake? It says, watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. That's a huge statement. The spirit is willing. Saying, Peter, your spirit's willing. Your spirit's for me. But your flesh is super weak. So he says, so pray that you may not enter into temptation. He's like, pray. Because you're not going to find the strength in yourself here, man. So, so, so pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's, that's our story, right? Where there's a lot of willingness. There's a lot of things that we will say to God. There's a lot of promises that we've made to do some things and not to do some things. The spirit's willing. The spirit's there for a lot of you who are Christians. The spirit's, I want to follow him hard. The flesh is weak, right? We'll make statements, these massive statements to God about the kind of people that we're going to be and the kind of life that we're going to live. God, I want to be involved in it. I want to be for you every day. I'm like, I'm going to, it's, whatever you call me to do, wherever you call me to go, I'm in. I want to do it. No matter how big, how small, like what, I'm, I'm in. Until it comes to staying awake, right? Before you get too judgy about Peter falling asleep that night, praying on the silent side of the hill, how early did you wake up to spend time with God this morning? I read this book by this guy named Ian e. Bounds on prayer, and he says, he says that, that a, faith, a faith that it, it, it's too weak to break the chains of sleep is a weak thing indeed. We make these huge statements to God about who we're going to be and who we're not going to be, and we're going to follow him anywhere. No matter what he called us to do, we're going to do it, as long as you don't ask me to wake up 20 minutes early, because that's too much. Right? Peter says, I'll die for you. I will not deny you. I will not be scattered. I will not walk away. But I don't, I, I, can't, I, can't, stay, I can't stay awake while you go pray. I'm going to take a nap though, all right? I'll die for you, but as long as I'm asleep. Like I can just shoot me while I'm sleeping or something. That's cool. I'm down. But like I just, I can't, I can't stay awake for you. And Jesus walks up and is like, so, could you not watch with me for an hour? What happened to Mr. Awesome? What happened to all these like big, these big words, these big statements? I don't forget that Jesus, Jesus made a statement that was really profound to Peter just a few minutes before. He said, before the night's over, you're going to deny me three times. That was what that response from Peter was about, about you're going to deny me, like you even know who I am three times before the night's over. And Peter says, absolutely not. It is inconceivable for me to do that. It's not going to happen. But here it comes. Here it comes. In 26, uh, verse 69, after Jesus was arrested, there on, on the hill, he's dragged before the, the rulers. And in verse 69, it says that Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. And a servant girl, this servant girl came up to him and, and she said, hey, you're also with Jesus, the Galilean. Like, you're, you're with him, right? And in 70, he says, no. He says he denied it before them all saying, no, I, I, I don't know what you mean. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm just here hanging out in this courtyard for funsies. Like, I don't, wait, what? <laughs> no, the guy that's, that, that's been arrested and is about to be tortured and, no, I don't know him. I'm not with him. No, 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 I'm good. I'm just here for the view. Verse 71, it says, and when he went out to the entrance, kind of walks away from that crowd, goes to a different, different little spot to try to observe. It says another servant girl saw him. And she said to the people around him, said, hey, this, this guy was with Jesus. 
And in 72, he says he, he denied it again. This time even stronger. It says he denied it with an oath. Listen, I don't, I don't know this guy. All right? I'm just here. I'm here for other purposes. All right? I don't know him. Get off my back. After a little while, the bystanders, they came up and said to Peter, hey, sir, come on, man, seriously, like, certainly you, you two are one of them. For your accent betrays you. This isn't from where they're from. They're Galileans. They're from a different area. There's a different accent, right? Like, if you meet somebody from up north, you know they're not from down here, right? It's like, hey, like, your accent's giving you away. And in 74, he, like, loses his mind about this and starts, like, spitting, cussing about it and say, listen, he began to invoke a curse on himself and just start swearing. I said, I don't, I don't know him. Like, I can't say this any more emphatically. I, I don't know him, all right? I don't, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know this Jesus that when he asked, who do you say that I am? I said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. I don't know this Jesus of whom I said just a few minutes earlier on the hillside over there, I will die before I deny you. I don't know him. Seventy-five, Peter remembered, it says it immediately, the rooster crowed and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Listen, before, before you and I get too high and mighty about this, too, 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 too judgmental toward Peter, listen, like no, none of us is above this. None of us has ever lived above this. In fact, in our own ways, we're all guilty of, of this, of, of denying Jesus. Like when we, when we stay silent, when we don't speak up for our faith and we have an opportunity to share and we just don't because we're afraid, there's an, there's an aspect of this, of just this fear of being identified with the person of Jesus. We've all done that. When we, when we live like we have no idea who Jesus is and we engage with everything the rest of the world engages in with the same enthusiasm they do, when we live like the rest of the world, we're denying him in the way that we live our lives. We all do that. We're just sinful people. And when we live like that, when we live like we don't know him, it's sin. When, when, when Peter's standing there saying, listen, I don't know him, that's sin. Listen, Peter's prone to wander. The spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. You and I, we're all prone to wander. We're all prone to sin. Every single one of us. And when it comes to our senses, like when, when we come to our senses, when we realize what we've done, man, it burns, doesn't it? Doesn't it burn? Like, doesn't it hurt when you realize, like, you come, that, something that clicks to your senses, you realize how far you've gone. The things that you said you were never going to do, the promise that you made to yourself before God, like, I'm never going to do that. I'm always going to be for you. And then everything else happens. You come to your senses and it hurts. Peter clicks in, realizes what he's done, realizes that Jesus knew this was going to happen, realizes that Jesus is about to go to the cross for the things like that. And it says that Peter just goes out and he just weeps. Some of you have been there. Some of you have had this moment when you've looked at your life, looked at the way that you've like lawn darted, face planted hard as a teenager, and you've, you've, you've seen your sin for what it is. And you kind of like stood outside yourself and looked, looked at yourself at where you've come to, and you're just ashamed of you. Disgusted by you, frustrated by you, angry with you. If, we, if we're not careful, 
we make this assumption that, 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 that God feels the same way about you that you feel about you. Does that make sense? We make this assumption that since I'm when, I'm, when I'm looking at me, when I'm looking at all my sin, when I'm looking at all the things that I've engaged in that I said I would never do, that I would never do that again, and I did it again. When I, when I said I was going to take all these steps for the Lord, I was going to walk hard for Him, and I didn't do any of it. When I said I was going to wake up every morning and spend time with Him, I didn't wake up at all. And you step back and look at the way that you lived your life, you look at you and you're ashamed of you, and you imagine that God is over here in heaven looking down on you, feeling the exact same way ashamed. And then something happens then because you're ashamed of you. You assume that God is ashamed of you and then you hide. That shame creates distance because it it just always does. When you're ashamed of something with your parents, you hide from your, like you just move away from your parents. When you do something you think your friends are ashamed of you for, you kind of distance yourself from your friends. That's what shame does. And when you ascribe shame to yourself and when you assume that God is looking at you, with shame, you move away from it. We walk around assuming this shame, holding on to our shame, and it just drives us further and further from it. And then something interesting happens. The book of Matthew doesn't mention Peter again. It leaves him there. It leaves the, it leaves, it leaves the story of Peter there, having walked away from, from the courtyard, weeping, over his betrayal. But in the Gospel of John, we pick the story back up. Now, John wrote his Gospel after the other three. All right, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those were written before. John had those. And so he, the book of John, it fills in a lot of holes. It kind of it looks at things from a different perspective. John's almost like saying, all right, we've got all that recorded. Now, what else are we missing? And so John's Gospel gives you this whole different perspective on things, and John picks it back up. John picks it up, and so we first see Peter again after Jesus' burial in the book of John. All right, and so Jesus um, has, has been buried. He's, he's been in the grave, and then the disciples, they hear that Jesus has been raised from the grave, which is an insane thing to hear. And two disciples take off running. One is John, who's writing the gospel, right? And the other one is Peter. And Peter and John, they take off running for the tomb because they've heard that it's empty, and they've got to go investigate and got to go see. Two guys go, John and our Peter. The Peter, like me and you, like that, we, they take off running. Apparently, John's the, uh, the more athletic of the bunch because, like, John records in his own, like, he's, like, writing a gospel that's in your Bible. And he's like, yeah, I'm pretty much a better runner than him. And so he's like, so the, the disciple who Jesus loved, he gets there first, right? And chubby, slow Peter finally, like, comes huffing and puffing up from behind, right? And so, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know he's, he kind of gets there. And it says that, that Peter, like, so John gets to the tomb, and John, he's like, so at the, you know, he, he peeks in. He sees that the burial cloths are there. And, like, Peter comes, like, roaring in like an elephant, you know, and just barrels straight down into the tomb. This, he goes straight in on down there. And he's, like, he's looking around trying to figure it out. He's looking for this Jesus. He's looking at this Jesus, the last time he spoke, the last thing that he's got to say face-to-face to to Jesus was not a positive thing. They go home uh, from there, and Mary Magdalene kind of stays behind, and Jesus appears to her in a risen form, the risen Savior, the Savior that we celebrated Sunday. And she goes back and she tells the disciples, I've, I've, I've seen him. The tomb's just not empty. The body just wasn't stolen or something. I saw him. I didn't know what to think. 
But by that night, that same night, it's like it says that night, Jesus appears in this locked room with all the disciples there. You know who's among them? Peter. All, they're all there, like so, except Judas, because he's dead. All right, but so everybody else, they're there. And so Jesus appears in this locked room, and he, he gets in the midst, and he says, peace be with you. He has this conversation about, yeah, I'm, I'm here. Like, I'm, I literally have conquered sin and death and hell. Like, I've, I've beaten it all for you. I'm here in the flesh. It's me. But there's, there's no conversation directly with Peter. It's this group situation. There's no, there's no conversation with Peter. I almost imagine the shame of Peter is hanging on to him still. And there's this, that, mm. maybe some of you came in the room tonight and there's that, that distance between you and God. And no matter how close you want to get to him, that shame's still between you. You're assuming he's ashamed of you for what you've done and it's kept you from him. From just running into his arms, just, just taking hold of that love and that grace and that, that peace that comes only from him. And he's standing at a distance. Some of you are standing at a distance. A few days later, we finally get to John chapter 21. I love John chapter 21. Peter and some of the disciples, about seven of them, they're all hanging out together. A few days have passed. They don't know what to think. Like, it's just it's crazy. Like, just imagine that being, like, you're walking with Jesus for three years, and then you think he's going to be the one who overtakes, like, all of the, beats all the enemies, kicks out the Romans, and instead he ends up murdered on a cross. Three days later, he appears, and he's like, poofing into locked rooms with you and hanging out and stuff. Like, it's just a crazy time. Peter wants to clear his head. I don't know what you do when you want to clear your head. Peter wants to go fishing. I like to go hiking. When I want to clear my head, just get away from everything. I just go up on Montesano on that road that you're supposed to pay that honor fee that nobody pays. I go walk on that road because it's free, right? And so (laughs) that's what I do. I just go walk and it's like to be by myself a minute. And Peter says, all right, I'm going fishing. And he gets up and, you know, goes and cranks up the F-350 to get the bass boat out or whatever, right? And, and the other guys say, all right, we're going, we're going to. Let's go. Let's go fish. That's a great idea, man. Let's just go clear our head. Let's go fish. So they get out there. And back then, you, like, you fished at night. That's when they fish. And so they, they get out there. They're, they're working hard. They're fishing. This is what they know to do. Like when Jesus found them, they were fishermen. They're like back in their element doing what, what they love. They're fishing. They're out there for hours. I just imagine just being out there in the darkness, you know, the, the stars out. There's, there's not electricity, right? So just the stars would just be nuts as far as you could see. Just listening to the waves kind of lap against the side of the boat, just being at peace. Doesn't peace feel good? When those of you who walked in with that shame hanging on to you, you, you need some peace. And they're out there on the water just resting a moment. And then it's, it, it, it says, um, in verse 4, it says that just as day was breaking. This is the time of day that none of you have ever been awake for and won't ever be awake for until you have a baby. But there's this point in the morning, right when day breaks, it's not sunrise. It's, when it's, it's right between pitch black darkness and grayness. All right. Maybe like one time you woke up and you saw this. It's where you still can't see anything, everything, but everything becomes a shadow. Before that, there's just nothing. Everything is just pitch black darkness. There comes a point right there at the beginning of the day, the first moment of a day, when everything's just shadow. And they're out there on the, on the water. They're not far from shore, but it's, it's that shadow moment right there in the morning at the very beginning of the day. And, and, and the, the, the guys on the boat, Peter and the, the other disciples, they're on the boat, and they can make out a figure, walk up and just kind of stand on the shore. They, they, the guy that they see, a, a figure 
kind of calls out to them and they say, hey, you caught anything? (laughs) Verse 5, they just answer him, no. It's literally all they said. No. There's just some points in life where you don't want to talk. You don't want to talk about anything. You don't want to have a conversation, especially with strangers in the dark, all right? And so, like, there's, like, when I go work out, which doesn't happen very often, but when I go work out, I don't want to talk to people. Like, if I go get in Mount Zion's gym and any of you are there, I'm going to wave at you and leave because I don't want to talk to you, all right? It's awkward. I'm like, Nee. And I can't, I don't want to talk to you about it when I'm doing that, especially like him. You know, I don't want to talk to him, right? No. I was in the other day. I was already doing my workout. I was completely alone as Britain likes it, right? And some guy walks in. None of you. I don't even know who it was. I have no idea who this guy was, all right? It's probably one of your dads or something. But so, so somebody walks in. And I'm in there, like, dying, because that's what I do when I work out, trying not to be crushed by weights. That's the whole goal, right? And so I'm doing dumbbell bench press because I'm alone, and I'm afraid if I do normal bench press with a bar, it'll fall on my my body and kill me, right? So I've got dumbbells, and I'm laying there. I'm trying to do my bench press thing. This guy walks in. He gets on an exercise bike, and he's like, do-do-do, right? And and so I'm like, you know, trying not, trying to, you know, play it cool, you know, not cry. And, um, And he goes... How much weight are those? And I'm like right here. I'm like, Yarr! and I'm like, I don't, I'm leaving. I'm done. I got, I'm like, I don't know. I just, I just put them down and leave. I just, I don't want to, I don't want to participate in the conversation here. So a guy, like shadowy figure walks up on the beach. He's like, you guys caught anything? No. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> right? No. And the figure applies again. Super obnoxious. He goes, Hey, if you guys put the net on the right side of the boat, you'll probably catch some stuff. And like Nathaniel or somebody, right? He's like, he's like, just do it until we'll go away and leave us alone, right? So they throw the boat, the, the net on, they throw the net on the right side. And like so many fish jump in this net. The fish are like, I want to die. They all jump in the net. And to the point that the boat's like about to capsize. And then John remembers something. John remembers something. It's not even recorded in the book of John. John remembers something. That there was a day, even before they were disciples, before they were anybody's, when they were just fishermen, there was a day when uh, uh, Jesus um, was, was teaching by the Sea of uh, Gennesaret, and, and, and he, he, he sees this guy named Peter. And he had a boat, and there was a bunch, a big crowd, um, there was a big crowd gathered. And so he asked Peter, hey, could, could you just take me off a little bit from shore, kind of like a floating stage so I can address the crowd? And so Peter does it, and Peter's sitting there at his feet as Jesus is teaching this crowd before he has, like, any disciples and stuff. He's teaching people about the love of God and the authority of God, calling people to repentance. And, and, and he looks down at Peter, and he says, hey, why don't you put out your nets? And Peter said, he's, he looks at Jesus, or he's been teaching. He's the teacher, right? It's Jesus. Uh, and he doesn't know the fullness of that yet, but he, he says, listen, man, we've been fishing all night. We haven't caught anything. And Jesus is like, humor me. And they throw out the nets, and James and John are there too. They're in their boat. Peter's in the boat with Jesus. They throw out the net, and it says there's so many fish jumped in that net. We want to die too, that the, that the boat started to sink. And Peter looks at Jesus. He's like, man, you, you don't want to have anything to do with me. I know who you are. You don't want to... A man of unclean lips. It was that day that Jesus chose them, called them out of who they were, chose them, like called them to himself. 
And they've got to see the glory and the goodness of this Jesus. And John remembered that moment. And he looks at Peter. And he's like, just like shock in his eyes, right? And he's like, dude, that's him. And Peter, the guy who the last interaction he had with Jesus was Jesus looking at him, locking eyes with him after a rooster crows. And he realized he's just denied the savior of the world, right? He's denied his Jesus. That was the last time he got to see him. Peter's in this room, but there's this shame distance thing and he can't keep, he can't get past it, right? Like some of you came in with that shame. He's, that Peter, he's like, enough's enough, <laughs> says that Peter had his, had his coat off, to, like he's working hard, right? Peter throws on his coat and dives out of the boat. They're only like 100 yards from, like, the, like Jesus is over there, okay? And Peter's like, yeah. like he's, he's out. We're not, we're not wasting time on paddling right now. John stays in the boat, and they, like, they bring the net in. The other guys paddle it in, and you know, he's, Peter's swimming with a coat on. Which How do you even do that, right? He's like, you know, we already know he's the pudgy guy. He's the slow runner, right? Fat floats. It's great. Peter makes it to shore probably like after the boat gets there, right? Everybody's there. Jesus is, Jesus is there. He's got like a little campfire on the beach. And, and the King of kings and Lord of lords, the risen Savior, the King of the universe, who upholds all things by the word of his power, is making breakfast. And he says, um, hey, uh, why don't you guys go get some fish? Just go, hey, can one of you go back over the net, grab, get a couple of fish? Literally says some. Peter, again, runs over, soaking wet coat and all, right? Runs over the net, grabs the whole net, drags the whole net on shore. It's got 150, they counted, all right? There's 153 fish in the net. He's like, <laughs> you know, he's like getting the whole thing. Jesus, are you, are you proud of me? Look how many fish I brought on the shore. Does this make up for the whole me denying you thing? Because it's a lot of fish, dude. I worked real hard. I even swam a little bit. Do you think Jesus was impressed with how many fish he drug up on the beach? Do you think Jesus was impressed with him jumping out of boats and like doing all these things, these external gestures to, but you, you get what he's trying to do, right? You, you can see it. You can feel the tension in him. Like, I want to get to Jesus. I want to be okay with Jesus again. I'm just trying to do something here. Peter's trying to overcome his failure with some good deeds. He's trying to work hard enough that, that all of a sudden Jesus is going to get proud of him for how hard he's working to make up for something. And some of you have been working incredibly hard to make up for something. You've been working incredibly hard to make up for some sin. And I'm just telling you, that's not the way Jesus works. You weren't saved by how hard you're working and you're not going to be restored by how hard you're working. You weren't set free in the first place by working at all. You just accepted grace. You came to a point, if you're a Christian in the room, where you said, I'm such a mess that I can't save myself. I need Jesus to do what I can't do. Now, as a Christian, having been saved by grace, are you then going to start working super hard to earn your way back when you fall away? No. If you didn't get to Jesus by working hard, how are you going to come back to Jesus by working hard? I'm not saying you've lost your salvation. I'm saying you overcoming that shame, overcoming that distance, letting go of that stuff between you and him. Like, are you going to overcome that by working hard or are you going to come back to Jesus in the same way you came to him in the first place, simply by taking the grace? They have breakfast there on the beach. Um, it says that when they finished in, in 2115, it says when they finished, Jesus, he said to Simon Peter, 
that Simon, son of John, do you, do you love me more than these? And it takes Peter aside. It's just the two of them. Now it's just, it's just Jesus and Peter. And that's got to feel pretty awkward for, for Peter, right? It's just face to face with Jesus. The one who hung and died on the cross, the risen Savior. He's face to face with Jesus. The one, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. I would die before I deny you. And, and then I did. And now we're eyeball to eyeball. And he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yeah, yes, yes, Lord, you know, I, you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And Jesus says it a second time. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Same conversation, still eyeball to eyeball. He says, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And then Jesus, I just imagine him pausing and looking, looking in, like one of those, those looks with somebody like, look into your soul, right? Because there were three denials. I do not know him. I don't know him. I'm not kidding. I don't know him. And Jesus says, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Hey, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said it to him a third time. He, he, just, he gets it. Jesus is mirroring his denial. He, he gets it. He says he was grieved because he said it this third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Peter denied Jesus three times. And three times, Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. Peter's cut to the heart when he just makes this connection. And, and Jesus says this, something, this simple thing. He says, feed my sheep. It's like Jesus is saying, yeah, okay, so I know the spirit is willing, right? And I know the flesh is weak, and I know there's failures here. And he's saying, listen, I want to know that you love me, and I want to put you back on your feet to do the work you were called to originally. Feed my sheep. To share the message, to go and tell, to be Peter, the rock on whom I'm going to build my church, right? Like, get back on your feet. Let's go, man. This shame, this, this, this junk, but this isn't, this isn't the way this is going to work, all right? He says, do you love me? Then that's enough. Let's get back to the mission. Listen, it, it, Jesus is the one who paid all of our price on the cross. He paid for all of your sin once and for all. He is for you. Listen, when you slip, and you will slip, you have slipped, his grace is still enough for you. You're not going to make your way back to him after you fail by working hard or trying to prove something to him or like doing some sort of penance. It's just still grace. Does Jesus seem ashamed of Peter here? Does Jesus seem ashamed? Because we ascribe this shame from God. Like, surely if I'm ashamed of me, surely he's ashamed of me. Does, does Jesus seem ashamed of Peter? No, he's not cutting him out. He's not walking away from him. He's moving towards Peter. He's moving towards you to put you back on your feet. Listen, from this point on, you see Peter running hard after Jesus. He doesn't do it perfectly. You see more failures in Peter's future in the book of Acts. Like, but you do see Peter back on his feet, running hard after Jesus. I don't, know what, I don't know what you come in here with. I don't know what kind of sin and what kind of shame you've been dragging around with you, but if it's keeping you from being a part of the mission to save the world, right? Like to, to make the gospel known, to live in the goodness and grace of Jesus and make that goodness and grace known to somebody else. If, if your shame is preventing you from being a part of the gospel, 
And this fall on grace, man, this is like you're saved by grace, then fall on grace. Let go of the shame and run hard after Jesus. Listen, I know that you've failed. I know you've failed. I know you're going to fail again. But your failure doesn't make you a failure. Your failure, like when you fail, like when you slip, when sin creeps in, when you fail, that doesn't make you a failure. You're not like cut out from the family of God or something because you've messed something up. Your fail doesn't make you a failure. It makes you a product of grace. Or once again, you have to come humbly before the Lord, confess sin, thank him for dying for that, and get back on your feet and run hard after Jesus.